So imagine you're sitting at a party and you're surrounded by friends and family and some strangers and you're having a good time. When all of a sudden in the middle of this party, somebody starts telling stories. And he's a really good storyteller. Everybody starts gathering around him. He's holding court and everyone is paying attention, laughing at the funny parts, gripped in suspense at the suspenseful parts. And people are leaning in, eating up the story that this guy is telling. And yet, as people are leaning in to this story, you can't help but think to yourself, as he lays out ludicrous event after ludicrous event and says over and over again, I swear this is true, this is really what happened. You can't help but think to yourself, huh, ain't no way this is really true. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is in a storytelling mood. And he is holding court with a whole bunch of people. Luke tells us that there's a crowd around him. In that crowd are two groups of people. One group you could call the wrecks. They're the people who've made a mess of their life. And the other group you could call the religious. They're the ones who've largely followed the rules, done right, done well, been good in life. And Luke tells us that the wrecks, those who've made a mess, they are leaning into, lapping up, and loving everything that Jesus has to say. But the religious folk, you know, the good kids, they're standing in the back with their arms crossed, saying to themselves, ain't no way this is really true. Today, as we walk through the stories that Jesus told, you are invited to ask this question. Which group do I belong to? First story Jesus tells is about a, let's just say a, a reckless shepherd. It's about a shepherd who has 99 sheep and one has gotten away. It starts like this. Luke chapter 15, verse 3. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? At the start of this story, immediately, the people who are listening to Jesus in the first century, they're going to hear this story and say, well, that is ludicrous. No shepherd worth his salt with a hundred sheep, and that's a lot of sheep, is going to leave 99 in an open field, leave them all by themselves to go chase after one sheep that got lost. Look, one lost sheep is the cost of doing business when you've got a hundred, because that's what sheep do. They're, they're stupid. They, they get lost. They're uh, dumb. That's what sheep are. No shepherd is going to run after one sheep and forsake the 99. People listening would have said, no, this, this story is ludicrous. But Jesus doubles down. He keeps going. He says, and when you find the one sheep that was lost, wouldn't you call up all your friends and family and say, hey, I've found the one sheep that got away. Come over to my place and we'll party. And instantly, just about everybody listening would have said, no. No one would do that. If you called your friends and said, hey, we're throwing a party because I left 99 sheep to go chase after one and I found the one, all of your friends would start a group text message about how crazy they think you are. Hey, did you get that invite to Shep's party? Yeah, yeah, I did. I'm worried about him. I think he's been spending too much time alone in the field. 
Jesus tells this story about a reckless shepherd, and instantly, the majority of people who are hearing this story, they think to themselves, ain't no way this is true. That's a reckless shepherd. But Jesus keeps going. And then he tells the story about a crazy widow, a widow with 10 coins. This is how it starts. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Again, anyone hearing this story would have thought to themselves, no. This story is ludicrous. Again, remember our context. This is the first century, and it's a patriarchal society. So when Jesus tells a story about a woman with no mention of a husband, no mention of sons, he's implying that this is an older, widowed woman. And because he mentions that she has 10 silver coins, 10, in an era where printed money is relatively rare, she's a wealthy, widowed woman. So this is a story right off the bat about a wealthy, dignified, widowed woman who Jesus says has one coin roll off the counter and get lost under the couch. And Jesus says that this wealthy, older, dignified woman is on her hands and knees sweeping through the house. And remember, this is the ancient world. This isn't luxury vinyl tile on the floor. This is dirt. There's no lighting. It's dark. So this older, dignified woman is rooting around on the floor in the dark looking for one silver coin when she's got nine on the table. Everyone hearing this, for the most part, is going to say, well, this, well, this is just a ridiculous story. But Jesus keeps going and he says, and when she finds it, wouldn't she call up her friends and her family and say, the one coin that I lost, I found, come on over and party with me. All of her friends would say, Betty, you're loaded. Why are you throwing a party for one coin when you still got nine? Have you been hanging out with that shepherd? Anyone who hears this story is thinking, this is, this is not normal. This is not right. Ain't no way this is true. That widow is crazy. And then Jesus tells another story. He tells a story about an extravagant father. A father who had two sons. A younger son and an older son. He had one who was the youngest and one who was responsible. The younger son looked at his father and said, Dad, you're better off dead to me than alive. Give me my share of the inheritance now. And the father, so extravagant in his desire to just bless his kids and give them what, whatever they want, he says, okay, I will give you my entire estate. The older brother got two-thirds. The younger brother got one-third. And this younger brother immediately liquidates what he gets and he takes it off into some far country, and it says he squanders everything on wild living. He, he spent it all on drinking and draft kings and bad Bitcoin. <laughs> and he's got nothing left, and there's a famine, and he comes to his senses. That's the word Luke uses. He comes to his senses, and he says, wait, I have an extravagant father, and he's got a, a whole team of people who work for him, and they're well-paid, and they're well-cared for. I will come crawling back to my dad, and I'll be like, look, just add me to the payroll. You don't even have to make me a son again. Just add me to the payroll. I won't ask for benefits. Like, just, that's all I'm asking for. 
So he goes back to his dad, and as he's journeying home, this is what he finds. And this is meant to be one of the most powerful images in the whole of Scripture. The son is headed home, and Luke says this, while the son was still a long way off, he is a few hundred yards away. His father saw him felt compassion. That word for compassion is the Greek word splankna, which literally means guts. It's feelings from the guts. It's a deep gut feeling. The father is compelled from his guts to go and be kind to his son. While he's a long way off, he feels this pull deep inside of him to be compassionate to his son, and he ran to him and embraced him, and he kissed him. More than that, the father shuts down the son's apology. The son is like, I don't deserve to be called your son. Let me come and work for you. And at that point, the father's like, shh, no, none of that. And he pours gifts upon him and begins planning a lavish party for him. And it's at this point that I imagine many in the crowd that Jesus is telling this story to would have, would have reached their limit with the lunacy. Because remember, first century, it is a shame and honor culture. And, and the implication is that what this son did to the father, everyone would have known about. He brought immense shame to the father and to the family name. There was no room to imagine a father who, number one, would let this happen. Number two, who would make such a fool of himself, be such a sad sack of a man, standing at the end of the road waiting for his, his doofus son to come home, where everyone can see him. There's old man at the end of the road waiting for his idiot boy to come back. What a pathetic man. Let alone when he sees him come back, lift up his robes and go running to him. And then put his arms around him and kiss him and give gifts to him and throw a party to him. This, this just does not happen. This is crazy. People are listening to this story as Jesus tells it and they're like, ain't no way, ain't no way this story is connected to reality. That father is ludicrous. He is far, far too extravagant. And maybe as you hear these stories, you're thinking something similar. You hear stories about, about a reckless shepherd, about a crazy widow, about an extravagant father, and you think to yourself, this is not how the world works, okay? These are nice stories for Sunday school, but this is not how the world works. Shepherds don't leave the 99. They don't. Dignified women don't don't roll around on the floor in the dirt looking for one coin. And good parents don't reward bad behavior. They don't. This is not how the world works. But remember, there, there, were, there were two groups in Jesus' audience. There were those who were the wrecks. And, and they are the ones saying to themselves, this is not how, the, I'm sorry, there were, the, there were the religious, they're the ones saying to themselves, this is not how the world works. But then there were also the wrecks the ones who'd made a mess of themselves. And indeed, there was only one vantage point from which these stories make any sense whatsoever. The only way these stories make sense, the only way in which they fit into this world and you can lay your hands on them is if you understand that you are the sheep. You are the coin. You are the sun. And when you grasp that, they go from being crazy stories to being everything 
stories. There were those who were listening, who were religious, who'd followed all the rules, and none of this makes sense to them. And then there were those who were the wrecks, who'd made a mess of their life. And as they're listening to this story, I guarantee you, they're not saying, ah, ain't no way this is true. What they're saying is, God, I hope, I pray that this is true. I, I pray that there's, that there's a shepherd willing to leave the fold and find me. I pray that there's someone who finds me valuable enough to go looking around in the dirt that I've hid myself in, I pray that there's a parent so loving that they, they, would, they would welcome me back home. And what Jesus is saying to those who have made a mess of their life, what he is saying is this is how the kingdom of God works. It makes no sense to the rest of the world, but this is how God's kingdom works. In me, there is a welcome home and a celebration for everyone who's ever wandered away, get lost in the dirt, or brought dishonor to their family name. This is how the world works. To everybody else, those who, those who see these stories as kind of silly, Jesus is sending a different message. In fact, he has another story to tell. There are actually four stories hidden in Luke chapter 15. That fourth story is the story of the blind brother. It's the second half of the parable of the prodigal son. It's the story of the blind older brother. He's not physically blind. He's, he's blinded by anger because he's the kid who's done the right things. He's the one who's followed the rules, who stayed behind and ran the family business. And he is, he is blinded by anger when he sees his father showing extravagant mercy to his brother. He refuses to come inside. His father is throwing a party for his brother. And his father comes to him and he continually entreats him to come to the party. Just come to the party. But the older brother is outside just working. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to come. Not going to come. But the father is entreating him, come to the party. And listen to what the older brother says. He says this to his father. When this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Notice the older brother is in his own way doing exactly what the younger brother did. He too is disowning his family. When he uses words like your son, what he's saying is this is not my brother and you are not my father. We're here talking about you and your kid. And he's also slandering against his younger brother. There's been no mention of prostitutes. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But this older brother is telling himself a story and wagging his finger in his father's face. And this too would have been scandalous to Jesus' first century hearers. How could this son be so blind to the disrespect that he's showing his father? How could he be so blind to the fact that, yes, his younger brother has squandered a third of the family estate, but he's been given and has and possesses two-thirds of it. How can he be so blind to the fact that he himself is a recipient of the Father's extravagant love? How can he be so blind to this? But he is. He sees himself as different. And then what's fascinating about this, the fourth story in this chapter, is that there is no ending to it. The other three end the exact same way. They all end with a party. This one ends really with a question. The father comes to the older brother and he says, come in, come in. Will you come in? Will you enter into the party? And will you celebrate? Will you celebrate? 
Will you not disdain my extravagant love? But will you come and take part in it? And there is no answer. We don't know what the older brother did. And we have to ask why. Why don't we know what the older brother did? And the reason we don't know what the older brother did is because Jesus is inviting all those in his audience who see themselves as a little bit better than everybody else, as ones who have followed the rules more than others, as those who need just a little bit less grace, for whom a lot of these stories about sheep that wander and coins that roll into the dirt and sons that bring dishonor, for for those who seem to think that those stories are silly, Jesus is inviting them to see themselves as part of the story, to see that if you can't be, if you can't be the sheep or the coin or the son, there's only one more character for you to be in this story, and everybody's somebody. That makes you the angry, prideful, older brother. And Jesus is inviting those who are the older brother to write their own ending. To imagine that they are not the ones who've done better or the ones who've tried or the ones who deserve a little bit of recognition, but to imagine that they enter into the party. They enter into the party thrown by the extravagant father and realize that it is a party not just for their little brother, but that it is a party for them. If you are here this morning and you have at any time made a mess of your life, if you have ever felt like the sheep that wandered, the coin that rolled, or the son or daughter that brought shame, what you need to know is that you cannot outrun the mercy and grace of God the Father through Jesus Christ. It is a love that pursues and chases down and lays hold of you, and once it has you, it pours reckless, crazy, extravagant, and undeserved mercy on you. If that's who you are, your only task in response to these stories that Jesus has told is this, to say thank you. Thank you. But if you're here and part of you thinks that these, these stories are kind of silly and fit only for Sunday school, but really have no relevance to everyday life, if part of you still says, ah, ain't none of this true, I would encourage you to, to ponder a few things in light of the stories that we've just heard. Just take these and put them in your back pocket. I, I would encourage you to do this, uh, to to beware of pride. If you get anything from these stories, especially that last one, just beware of pride. You know, you know thinking that you've got things a little bit put, put together a little more than everybody else. Pride is a poison that ruins relationships, especially this one. I would also encourage you to stay curious. Don't shut down the notion of your own sinfulness and the love of God. Stay curious about your own weaknesses and about the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And stay curious about the question of what will I do if I ever find myself, when I find myself deep in the dirt, stashed under the sofa. And lastly, I, I would say fight cynicism. 
fight cynicism. Number one, it's just ugly to walk around going, ah, probably ain't true, probably ain't true, probably ain't true. Don't be that guy. But instead, be open to the idea that sometimes even the silliest of stories are not just true, but they are being told for you. Amen.